the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Heart of Innovation, 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm with Dr. John Phillips. Also, we have a very special guest, Nurse Practitioner Kay is here. And today we are going to talk about the importance of a full vascular assessment. To join the discussion, if you are listening to the live broadcast, write down this number, 1-888-367-5329, Dr. Phillips, you are in clinic today, so you're joining us live from the hospital. You got the on-call duty. Uh, That's right, Kim. How have you been? It's amazing. We've uh, got another week come and go, but yeah, this week uh, I'm what we call the the rounder for my group, so I see all the inpatient uh, patients that have um, uh, peripheral arterial disease or coronary artery disease. And yes, I'm on call this weekend, so I may have to, um, you know, mute and and go do something. (laughs) So we'll see. Mute and go save life and limb. I love that. (laughs) A nurse practitioner, you're here today. You're still, you're also on call this weekend. Yeah. I'm on call for you. And I think you're on call people. every single day and every night. I don't I don't know any moment in a 24-7 that you are not available to patients around the world who need support. But, do you know, the wonderful thing is um, we had a major um, event this this week and we partnered up with a company called Easy Care. And Easy Care are going to provide nurse practitioners all over the world as well to actually give me some time off, which will be wonderful. (laughs) But it also makes sure that 24-7, no matter where you are in the world, we're going to have somebody who's going to be able to answer your queries immediately. Yeah, that is that is amazing. And and people can go to thewaytomyheart.org to get that free. 24-7 24-7 support from nurse practitioner Kay and her entire team, her expanded team now with Easy Care Link. So that's really exciting. Yes, it is. So today, you know, we're going to be focusing on the importance of an overall vascular assessment. You know, what do I mean by that? We want you to chat with your doctor during every annual exam. And by chat, chat is an acronym for C, carotids. Those are the arteries in the neck. Uh, there's also the vertebrals. They're there, the two. Um, H is for heart, A is for abdomen or aneurysms, T is for toes, so you got to check those leg pulses um, for that peripheral artery disease, Um, and all can be checked with the simplest tool, right, Dr. Phillips' stethoscope? Indeed. You know, I think this is very, very timely, 
uh, with respect to assessing patients who have what we call polyvascular disease. We've talked about this on previous shows where folks have peripheral arterial disease, but there's overlap into the carotids or the neck arteries and then overlap into the coronary arteries or the heart arteries. And we've people do not typically die from a blocked artery in their leg, but they do from a blocked artery in their heart, which can cause a heart attack, and a blocked artery in the carotid uh, can cause a stroke, which can be very oh, wow. debilitating. <clears throat> yeah, you were just telling us before the show that you being on call, that's probably something when people aren't getting checked soon enough, they end up in the emergency room on the weekends. And you just had a patient this morning. Yes, exactly. We were consulted on a patient who has poorly controlled diabetes and stage renal disease on peritoneal dialysis who about two weeks ago noticed some discoloration on her fourth digit on the right foot that has now turned to to dry gangrene. So it's completely black. The tissue is dead. And this is likely related to blockages uh, within the leg. However, a few years ago, she had a stroke. So now she's kind of debilitated from the stroke. So again, has that what we call polyvascular disease. Multiple arterial beds are affected, which is why it's very important when you do see your primary care physician or a specialist that that they are evaluating all of your arteries from the neck down to the toes. It's interesting. We have Douglas again. He's become our biggest fan, I think. He, he <laughs> um, is on the phone and he has a question. It looks like um, he is actually speaking right to your point, Dr. Phillips, in that it's really important when you have your when you have something going on with your legs that you also get your heart checked. Douglas, what's your story? So that uh, yeah, he is addressing exactly it. So the the last time I had uh, surgery on my on my legs, uh, there was some heart issue going on at that time. So that doctor at that time sent me straight to the hospital, and I come to find out I have a pickle a pickle hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and Which it's is very rare. So, and I never knew that. And I've been, you know, like the four heart doctors now trying to find one that will take care of this successfully so that I can get the rest of my PAD taken care of. So that's the, that's what I was going to ask. How important is it that we get the rest of it checked? Like diabetes, I'm having some stomach issues now. So, I mean, does that affect all of it? Dr. Phillips? Indeed, it does. I mean, it's important that when you talk to your primary care physician or a specialist, and if you're diagnosed with one or the other, meaning coronary disease or carotid disease or PAD, that they should be looking at at least at the other two. And we also kind of touched on the abdomen for aneurysm. So people who have family history of aneurysm or who are smokers, particularly males, uh, over the age of 65 need to be screened and and Medicare, Medicaid uh, pay for that. Yeah, and thank you, Douglas. Go ahead. That should be, we we should think about that in the beginning because I I found out two years in this, three years now into this process about this. So it should be done earlier, shouldn't it? It really should. We find it all the time that, you know, it's it's not until it's too late. And it's so interesting when it comes to vascular disease and why we are talking about the importance of chatting with your doctor and chat the acronym C for carotids, H for heart, A for abdomen, meaning your aneurysm and T for toes or checking those leg pulses because 
caught early. There's so much that people can do to slow progression and prevent these vascular complications. It's really, really important. And we're going to go more into details on that and actually why uh, we decided at The Way to My Heart to launch this campaign to encourage people to chat. It's very personal to me, and I'll share that story coming up next. So stay with us. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. David Alper, and I'm back again with the weight of my heart's footnotes. And today we're going to talk about ingrown toenails. Why are we talking about ingrown toenails? Well, while it's absolutely true that ingrown toenails are not more common in folks with PAD and diabetes, the consequences of them can be much more dire. And so you want to make sure that you understand what they are, how to treat them, and when to get them treated properly, because you do not want this infection to spread. So what is an ingrown toenail? Toenails are like windows in the sense that they have tracks or grooves that they grow along as they grow out of your toe. Inside this groove, the skin is a little thicker to protect the toe so the nail doesn't cut the skin. But if shoes are too tight, if shoes are too short, if you spend a lot of time on the balls of your feet, or if you cut your toenails too short and take it out of that groove, the edge of the nail can cut through the groove and become infected because the nail is digging in the flesh. It's basically a foreign body reaction because nails are dirty. No offense, nails are dirty. And unless you get that piece of nail out from inside the skin, the infection is not going to clear up. Infection requires a professional who is going to numb up your toe and take that piece of nail out so that the skin can heal properly. And then you then will be able to treat it at home properly with a topical antibiotic and a bandage. The old wives' tale of taking a V out of the middle of the nail does not work. The idea is it's supposed to alleviate the pressure from either side, but the nail is attached to the skin, and so it's not going anywhere. You simply are just missing another piece of toenail. If you have a little tenderness at the end of the nail without any sign of infection, and you feel comfortable doing it, and you can see it easily, you can try and remove it yourself. But you're not doing anybody any favors to ask them to cut your nail for you. Just because mom or dad said they can, or your sister and your brother have done it before, does not mean that it's the healthiest thing for you, and it should be done in a sterile environment. Taking care of these things properly will alleviate not only your pain and discomfort, but prevent much more serious infection. For further information, contact the American Podiatric Medical Association at APMA.org, the American Diabetes Association at diabetes.org, and of course, the weight of my heart. This is Dr. David Alper. We'll see you again with another Footnotes. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. You know, in the previous uh, session, we were discussing the acronym CHAT for carotids, heart, abdomen, particularly looking at aneurysms and toes for peripheral arterial disease. We're going to continue that for a few minutes. And then, Kim, I'm going to ask you to share a personal story about aneurysms with us. But I think one of the, the main things or the important thing about a, a proper vascular evaluation is, as you mentioned earlier, having the physician or the practitioner use their stethoscope. It's a cheap tool. It works really well to do an adequate vascular assessment. And again, you're with respect to the neck arteries, we're able to listen for abnormal noises. Certainly, we're listening for the heart. We're asking 
good questions to the patient about symptoms of chest pain, shortness of breath. We're palpating and or feeling the abdomen and putting our stethoscope on there, listening for a brewery potentially. And then again, from a vascular standpoint, looking at the toes or we're examining the toes, we're feeling pulses. This all honestly takes about two minutes. And sometimes we're so busy thinking about other things, we forget to do it. So as a patient advocate, ask your physician to make sure that they're doing their chat exam. Kim, do you want to share with us the story about an aneurysm that your mom had and, and how kind of devastating uh, the consequences of, uh, of the events were? Well, it's amazing that you talk about it taking just two minutes for a full vascular assessment, you know, head to toe, carotids, heart, abdomen, toes, and yet not one of the doctors, even with textbook symptoms that my mom had, not one of them took a moment to place a stethoscope over her abdomen to check for what you had called a brewery, meaning turbulent flow in the abdomen. It would have taken those two seconds that could have saved my mom's life. And instead, she ended up collapsing of an aneurysm while we were on vacation in South Lake Tahoe. It, it, there was literally... Um, no warning. She got out of bed and she was on the floor. It is tragic. And that was really one of the catalysts for launching this campaign to encourage patients to say, hey, doctor, let's chat. I'm not leaving this room until you do a head to toe full vascular assessment. It's just two of those 15 minutes that we have together. Yeah. And, and that's the problem with aortic aneurysms. You don't know you have it until it's too late. 50% of people die, they never make it to the hospital, and the 50% that do make it to the hospital for a potential procedure, whether it be a stent or a surgery, those folks die as well. So it has a tremendous amount of mortality, high mortality, and it's, it's a disease. It's not, you can't prevent them, but if you screen for it and know it's there, you can monitor it with imaging, and you can fix it when it's, when it's needed and, and really help that patient a lot. And we have Kevin on the line. Kevin, uh, you have an experience with an aneurysm? Yeah, I sure do. Do you want so me to tell you briefly? Just really quickly. We, we have about a minute left. Okay, I'd be long dead if I wasn't uh, two things, an Ironman distance triathlete and a veterinary pathologist. In 2010, I had really weird symptoms in my feet, a mile 10 into the Lake Placid Ironman where I was 40 minutes ahead of my only competition. Two, he dropped me a mile 137 with a Boston qualifier run. Ten days later, I started running a differential diagnosis on myself for what the hell was going on. And I noticed my abdomen moving up and down. I ran through the tumors it might be. I felt it didn't fit. Uh, abdominal aortic aneurysm. I hope I'm wrong. I was right. It was 6.9. The aortic wall was paper thin. Uh, within 10 days, I had a stent put in. And I'm still doing Ironman training 11 years later on a stent, which had to be fixed twice. I would have preferred open, but it was much more risky. Uh, so that's my story, and it's described in a movie that you know well. How, um, how in the world were you so sensitive to be able to? It sounds like you almost diagnosed yourself. I did diagnose myself, and it was confirmed by ultrasound. Do you have experience? I'm a pathologist and a veterinarian. Uh, I have clinical training. I've got extensive training in pathology, so I think through disease situations in a very logical way. And I just ran a differential diagnosis. It was the only thing that fit the symptoms. So I went and asked for an ultrasound. I told my doctor about it. She had no interest. She thought I was wasting her time, but she wrote a script to get me out of the office. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kevin, for sharing your story. We'll have more on how to chat with your doctor coming up next. Advocacy organizations take a stand against amputation and the way to my heart. Here is Dr. Anahita Duwa, vascular surgeon with Mass General Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, talking about how to walk effectively to improve blood flow if you have narrowed arteries in the legs, known as peripheral artery disease. Peripheral artery disease in the intermittent claudication sense, when you have a situation where you do not have wounds, and you do not have what's called rest pain, where you're just sitting there in your chair, but your leg hurts a lot. So you're not in that category. We're just talking about purely here. It hurts when you walk, whether it's five steps or a hundred steps, it hurts when you walk. That's the intermittent claudicant. That patient can really, really turn their life around by walking. Now, how do you do that? This is how you do it. You wake up in the morning every day, you commit yourself to 30 minutes of continuous walking, but here's the ticket. It cannot be I go for a walk with my spouse, you know, down a couple city blocks, stopping to pet someone's dog, stopping to check if they're fresh avocados. No, no. Every time you stop, the clock restarts. So what you would need to be in is either in the mall or on a track where you can continuously walk because you need to turn that watch on. So you got your iPhone or whatever you have to, to time yourself. You turn on the timer and you start walking. And I don't care if you walk seven steps or you walk seven miles. You document, I walked this far today in time, right? Before the pain set in. And then you document, I walked this much further with the pain. Because that's what I need to know. I don't care how far you walk. I want to know how far did you walk when it hurt? Because that is what's building those blood vessels. You can walk for seven miles, Okay, but on that 7.1 mile, when you start to feel the pain, that's when you need to give yourself another five to 10 minutes of walking to the point where you're actually limping, because that's where you're basically your body is saying, you know, you've got a tribunal basically that sits in your body that has a certain amount of resources and it has to decide what am I going to do with these resources? Where am I going to lay down new blood vessels? Right. And if you hurt your body, essentially, by walking. The legs are telling the body, I need you to invest in me and create new blood vessels in me so that I no longer have pain when I walk. It's no different if you were working out in the gym and you're doing a bunch of reps with your biceps and you get that pain in your biceps when you're working out. What do they tell you to do? What does your instructor tell you to do? Oh, give me one more. Give me one more. Why? Because it's in those moments when you have that severe pain where you're actually going to be building blood vessels. You can do a hundred reps like this, no big deal, but it's that last two that build it exactly the same physiology in the legs. It's no different than if you live in a city and you have a city council and there's a crappy road outside your house. The person who goes and complains a thousand times screaming and yelling and picketing and chaining themselves to the city council is going to get money to get that road built. The person who doesn't is the one who's going to get nothing. And in fact, they might let the road deteriorate more. And that is what happens when you don't walk, when you have intermittent claudication. Most people will stop walking when they're in pain, naturally, right? And so, and, and, and a lot of doctors will tell you even to do that because they don't know. They don't want you to get injured. Your PCP may not know. If you get one of those little chairs that you can flip out and sit down, that's ideal because then you don't have to go somewhere to sit down. You sit down and the minute that you can go again, you go again. 
And you do that for 30 minutes and you document each time. How far did you walk? How far with pain? How far did you walk? I guarantee you, I will give you this in blood writing, okay? That if you do that in six months, you will increase your walking distance and decrease the amount of time that it takes, basically, that you have to sit down, essentially. So you'll be able to walk further with less pain. And that's what this whole creating new blood vessels is. Because what's happening? The city council in your body is building that road for you. And you have a little piece of blood vessel down in your ankle, a little piece of blood vessel up top. It makes the connection for you. So it doesn't open up what's already gone. It doesn't do that. But it does create these new connections for you. Are you going to be able to run the Olympics? Unlikely. But are you going to be able to enjoy your lives? Go out to the mall, go to a movie, you know, walk around, take, do, do what you want with your grandkids. Yes, you will. And that, and all with avoiding a bypass or avoiding a stent. Walking is the only thing that has level 1A evidence, as in randomized control trial, highest level of evidence in the world to say that if you walk, you will be able to increase um, the blood vessel collateralization, which is what that's called, creating those new networks, and you will be able to walk further with less pain. That was Anahita Duwa, vascular surgeon with Mass General Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Medical Notepad is a series for educational and informational purposes only. Advice offered is not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this series without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. For more information on peripheral artery disease, go to standagainstamputation.com. For peripheral artery disease support, go to thewaytomyheart.org. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everyone. I'm John Phillips, interventional cardiologist, and I'm joined by my favorite Emmy Award-winning journalist, actually the only Emmy Award-winning journalist in the world. <laughs> uh, and we have today on as well. So we're just kind of wrapping up the acronym chat. So we, we talked a little bit about carotids, the abdominal aneurysm. You shared your story. We've spent a lot of time in the last couple episodes about peripheral arterial disease in the toes. So now let's talk about the heart. Let's talk about the heart in the sense that of all the things that are going to quote unquote kill somebody, it's blockages in those arteries. And in fact, I'm on call for those types of events this weekend. So Kim, you have a special guest sitting to your right. Dad. I do. I'm actually, yes. Yeah. I'm actually very lucky to have him here. He wouldn't have been here if it was up to his primary care physician, right, dad? Correct. My cardiologist too. Yeah, his cardiologist too. So at first, you first realized that you had a little bit of a something going on with your heart um, when you were on the elliptical. Well, I had a very intense heartburn and I took a couple of ginger ales. It went away, but I thought, well, geez, maybe I ought to go get a check for GERD or reflux and uh, went in, got a check. Doctor says, oh yeah, we're going to get you some Priasec, but we had the advocate with me, Kim, <laughs> who took it from there. The royal pain in the arse. <laughs> now, did you have any any risk factors with respect to diabetes or high blood pressure or cholesterol problems that that they were maybe not aware of or no i didn't i okay. have it in family okay 
He had uh, so both his his mom and his dad, my grandma, and grandpa, but also he had prediabetes since like 2002 that they never did anything about. Said it's not a problem at all because you're not diabetic. Just go ahead and watch what you're eating, but no problem at all. It's not going to hurt you. But not once he was what 77, 78 at the time, yeah. and. Not once did anyone bother to do any sort of advanced checking. And when I actually stopped him, when the doctor was going to give him the Prilosec prescription, I said, wait, 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 hold on. He has a family history of heart disease. And she said, but his cholesterol is normal, so he's fine. I said, doctor, do you realize that more than 50% of people who suffer a heart attack have normal cholesterol in a basic lipid panel. It's not until you have an advanced lipid panel that gets beyond the quantity of bad cholesterol or LDLs. It's when you measure the quality, the lipid fractionation, that you're going to then discover that there might be something else going on. So lo and behold, what happened? Well, Kim advocated for... uh ECG and the doctor says, well, it's not paid for or whatever, not covered. It's not part of the diagnosis. But Kim says, we'll just pay for it if we have to. And they did the ECG and they found out there was a hiccup in it. And says, oh, we better get you over to cardio. So they put me over to the cardiologist. And uh, he came in, said he wanted to put me on the table immediately. But Kim fought that and says, we need to define what it is. So eventually I ended up on a what three, 256 CT slice scan. And it detected that uh, I had a blockage in the circumflex. And they went in and uh, removed or extended the blockage. And everything was working fine and came back. They did another, what, 18 months later, they did another 256 CT uh, slice scan. And the doctor looks at me and he says, oh, well, you're good to go for another six months. And... uh, yeah, but the yeah, but the problem is is that at that point he had more than eighty percent blockage in his, in his LAD, a ninety five percent blockage in his right coronary, and even the cardiologist had said, "Hey, you know what? Your plaque has grown really fast. That's a concern." But you know what? Since you're not having intense symptoms, just go away. So we decided to get a second opinion. And what did the other doctor say? Well, we went to the VA, and I part of being the VA, I'm required to get a physical every year. And my uh, doctor there looked at the reports because I send them all to him and to the VA. And he looked at it and he says, now, what did your cardiologist say about the 8% growth of plaque in the LAD? What 8% growth? Well, that's what it shows in the report in the fine print. And Kim hollers out, says, can we get a second opinion? That afternoon, we had a nurse practitioner from cardio calling. And two weeks later, they had me on the table uh, doing... uh, angioplasty with uh, Joe Yang, who has been on a couple of the shows before on, uh, but he went on, he did a complete check of all my arteries and he found that not the LAD wasn't the problem. It was the right coronary, which was over 95% blocked. And afterwards, what's that? You know, you you touched on a couple of interesting points. (laughs) If I may raise them, number one, your symptoms were maybe a little bit atypical in the sense that you had you had GERD. However, having it with exertion usually kind of tips us off a little bit. But particularly, women have atypical symptoms. And for the listeners out there, um, it's it's important if you're a patient to be aware of things. You, you know, not everybody reads our textbooks with respect to having crushing chest pain with exertion or under a stressful situation. So, uh, particularly those that have diabetes 
or other risk factors, it's important to have that your physician really kind of ask the right questions and, and tease out the symptoms. And I think, you know, typically what I do is start with a stress test and someone who has risk factors and we kind of, we kind of go from there, but obviously you've had, uh, sounds like some stents put in and, and you're, you're, you're a new man. Well, let's go into what the doctor said. Uh, Joe Yang said afterwards was, he said, if we didn't get rid of the, get the RCA taken care of, you had about two months to live or have a major heart attack, which would be a month short of seeing my cardio doctor in the private sector. And now instead, what are you doing? And now instead, they went ahead two months later and did the LADs and I seem to be fine. Right now, I'm just living life. And- Four and a half miles a day, he walks, including hills and 30 push-ups. Wim nice. Hof push-ups. If you nice. got to look up Wim Hof, he does it on one breath. And I'll, just, I'll, just say, I'll just say one thing real quick. Coronary artery disease is a progressive process. We don't cure it with stents. There's data. Stents don't prevent heart attacks. They don't really make people live longer in, in quote unquote, stable situations. And so I always stress to my patients, yes, we have a stent in and your symptoms hopefully have gotten better, but you've got to exercise. Do your push-ups, your Win Hof push-ups. You walk, take your medications, watch what you eat, get your diabetes under control, stop smoking if you smoke, but exercise, exercise, exercise if you can. It's amazing. You know what? Um, I, I I know actually the CEO of a company called Echo Devices that I think could be uh, has really democratized um, the diagnosis of heart problems a lot sooner for a lot of people, especially when it comes to primary care. I think we should give him a call. Why don't we take a break, see if he's available, and call him when we come back. Sounds good. We'll see you in a moment. Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg, but that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients, and we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our LegSaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. We've been talking this entire show about the importance of chatting with your doctor, the acronym CHAT, C for carotids, H for heart, A for abdomen, or checking for an aneurysm, and T for toes, checking the pulses in your legs. It can, sa- it can save life and limb. Before the break, we were specifically talking about the heart, and I have a, 
uh, CEO of Echo Devices, Connor Landgraf, who's on the phone. I am so happy that you are available to us so last minute on a Saturday um, because you're so busy working with doctors to save life and limb with this incredible device. I call it the world's smartest stethoscope, and I think it's democratizing access to advanced um you know, diagnostics for primary care physicians who may not have an advanced trained ear to be able to get some patients to a cardiologist sooner. Connor, thank you so much for being on. Thanks, Kim. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about Echo Devices, what it does, what the stethoscope does, and how it's able to help democratize these diagnostics um, for especially primary care physicians. Yeah, absolutely. So the stethoscope is you know, so ubiquitous and so common. It, it is an icon of medicine. And we're all familiar with the exam that the doctor does, placing it on our uh, chest, listening to our hearts, listening to our lungs, and using that to understand just overall our, our heart health and, and lung health. Um, but that exam is, you know, pretty unchanged for the last 200 years. Uh, it was an exam that, you know, really started to become popular in medicine in the mid-1800s. And if you look at the stethoscopes from, from the mid-1800s, they are functionally the same as the stethoscopes of today. And they require the immense skill and practice of the, the physician to be able to hear the differences between healthy and diseased heart sounds or breath sounds or vascular sounds as well. And what we've been building at Echo is the technology to be able to standardize and digitize the way the stethoscope exam is done and give clinicians, frontline clinicians especially, even more confidence in their ability to detect heart disease. Uh, what we can listen with a stethoscope is we can hear the blood flow, so we can hear abnormal blood flow through the valves of the heart. We can hear narrowing of the heart valves. Um, we can also hear narrowing of the arteries, like the carotid artery in the neck. And so making it a tool that is fast, low-cost, ubiquitous, you know, it is the stethoscope exam that's done on almost every patient, um, but supercharging how accurate it can be in diagnosing cardiovascular disease earlier. And uh, like you said, um, the goal is to democratize access to incredibly accurate, uh, incredibly high-quality screening tests to identify cardiovascular disease earlier. Yeah, definitely. Dr. Phillips. Yeah, I think, Connor, you, you bring an, up a great point. So often when we're training medical students and interns and so residents, they the, the stethoscope is, is such a fantastic device, and it can really glean a lot of information about the heart. However, the physical exam in general, as we've been talking about, is kind of slowly going the way of the dodo where we're getting much more expensive testing before we even do a good physical exam. So I think the fact that you guys have uh, added some, uh, you know, electronic technology to the stethoscope, allowing us to detect subtle murmurs uh, and, um, you know, pathology within the cardiovascular system is, is, is fantastic. So how do, I, how do I find one of your stethoscopes? Yeah, we, so we are available for clinicians to purchase online, actually. Uh, you now have a community of... Uh, Both of 200,000 clinicians and providers using the devices. Uh, We we, we want to move the confidence of a a real specialist of a cardiologist to the hands of the primary care or the practitioners and frontline. And we want to 
you know, our goal is to make that physical exam, as you said, relevant, accurate, um, and as a, as a you know, first source of information for the practitioner or for the provider. Um, so, yeah, we clinicians can purchase it directly, and we're also working with large IDNs and health systems to uh, roll out this kind of standard of care across their uh, across their system. I love this. I, Connor, seriously, thank you so much. Thank you for all you do. Thanks for developing this amazing device that really does. I mean, our gatekeepers are really at the forefront. If a patient can't get through the gatekeeper to get to the cardiologist, then that could literally mean a loss of life. And this really helps to facilitate that and get these patients beyond the gatekeeper and to a specialist a lot sooner. Uh, we have a lot of uh, folks on the line here uh, that want to get some questions in. We have Dr. Korea from Kansas City. Wow. <laughs> really have reached today. Dr. Korea. Hello. Are you there? Hi, doctor. You're on with Dr. Phillips, nurse practitioner Kay and myself. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, first of all, for setting up these educational things. I've been listening in and I'm not going to lie. It's been great to hear and comforting to hear that people actually think outside of the box and actually going further to be able to diagnose and treat people in the right way. Oh, definitely. So, so tell us a little bit more. I mean, I'm sure. What, what do you practice? So, practice in Kansas City. I I have a capture area of about four hours around me. I am a vascular surgeon and um, sub specialized basically in limb salvage. But oh, you know, it's few wow. people usually say limb salvage because they maybe they do a fem distal bypass and that in quote might consider themselves experts. But yeah. I actually do about 15 to 20 procedures a week in which I do a complex reconstruction in which I open up the arteries all the way down to the foot and, if necessary, to the toes. It's their newer techniques, um, high success rate, and obviously we're, just like you guys are alluding to, our, our sensitivity for patients with PAD is very high because we do the right test and we actually ask the right questions, which I think is key for all of these patients. Yeah, They're, and it's probably, it would help a lot. You probably have a, a story you could share just about the importance of getting tested for peripheral artery disease. It takes two seconds, two fingers to feel those leg pulses. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm, thanks to you, Kim, a patient about three and a half hours away had been diagnosed with peripheral arterial disease, and they did do the right test. They did do the right test, which is the non-invasive study, the ABIs, and they got the waveforms, they got the numbers, and the patient had an ABI on the right side of 0.7 and on the left side of 0.4. Now, put this into perspective, an ABI is how much blood flow is getting down to your, to your ankle. 100% is perfect. Anything less than 90% is abnormal, and that's when you start having symptoms. And this is a woman who's in her early 50s. She works mm-hmm. as a nurse. She's up on her feet a lot and was complaining to her doctor that my legs get very tired. And he attributed to the fact that, you know what, you're up on your feet a lot. You probably have venous disease. Put her in compression stockings. She was still having complaints. She did the right study, found out that she had peripheral arterial disease. And those tests of 70% blood flow on one side, 30% on the other, And we have less than a minute left here. Both of them were severe. Both of them were severe. And um, he put on the right medications and then said, this is all you you need. 
And obviously her biggest complaint was, I, I need to be able to walk. I need to be able to do my job. And thankfully, we did get to her. And both of her iliac arteries on, on both legs were about 90% blocked. We opened yeah. them up, put in some fence. She went back home. It was, you, can't, you can't take the smile off that woman's face. She's back to work. I bet you That is know. amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Career, for sharing her story. Um, we really appreciate it. That's exciting. It's important to really not only get diagnosed early, but also, you know, trust your gut and make sure you do get a second opinion if something's not feeling right. Coming up in just a moment, we have a couple more callers we're going to get to. So stay with us right here on the Heart of Innovation. Absolutely. Thank you. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back. We're talking about the acronym CHAT. It's really important to chat with your doctor every annual exam, and especially when you have a specialist to C, have them check your carotids, H, have them check your heart, A, for abdomen or aneurysm, and T, for toes or your leg pulses. We have Diana on the line. Diana. Hi. Hi, Kim. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. I just I called in to share my story, um, yes. as well as you know, I'm hearing all these um, innovations that's coming up. So I'm really um, excited for hopefully my PCP to get a hold of it. Um, I have pad and um, and you know I haven't had any. Um, um, I guess um, I, and I also have carotid uh, artery disease, but I haven't had my heart checked. Um, I did ask um, both my vascular surgeon and my PCP if I could see a cardiologist. And, um, you know, they're saying I don't have any symptoms. And so, you know, hence no referrals. So, you know, how do we kind of get the word out there so that they understand, right? I mean, I'm not a doctor. I don't have that medical um, background to say, hey, you know, um, PAD is a subset of uh you know, uh, um, heart disease. Yeah, right? three in five people who suffer a heart attack have PAD. Dr. Phillips, how do these patients get through? I hear this all the time. You don't have symptoms. There's no reason to check you. Yeah, I mean, that that is part of the Achilles heel with, with the vascular diseases that, that we deal with. Uh, and again, this is why we have this 
this this radio show and, and our podcast. What I what I also just recommend and tell patients is they have to be their own advocate. I have patients who will kind of just call up our office and self refer, which is which is absolutely um, uh, reasonable. But a primary care physician or a vascular surgeon can easily order a stress test for you. Uh, we we do it on pretty much all of our patients, and just because to her point and your point, patients don't have a lot of symptoms. However, the stress test can at least tells us information about their functional capacity, so how well they can exercise. It tells us information about their heart pump function, and obviously it gleans information about potential blockages and just because you have blockages it doesn't mean we need to do anything put stents in but it raises that awareness for optimal medical therapy as well as exercise good diet control etc and nurse practitioner Kay had the same thing Kay, you didn't even know you were at risk for a heart attack despite your pad until you had one yeah i was blocked abdominally and i knew it was there um and i woke up one day i had a pain in my jaw I had a pain radiating onto my shoulder. Um, my I was tachycardic, about 130. Um, my husband was a bit worried. He rang and asked for a house visit. The doctor came out and she said, you need to go into hospital. You're having a heart attack. I got in there. Um, my troponin levels were way up, 785 or something. And they said I was really lucky um, that I'd made it into the hospital in time and had my bloods done. Um, and I should know better. I'm, I'm a clinician. But female symptoms of heart attacks are, are, can be quite varied to male. And they can so be very subtle. Very subtle. You don't have that sharp tenseness and the pain in the chest and the pain down the arm. It was actually up into my neck and my jaw. Mm-hmm. And I didn't associate it, you know, first thing with a heart attack. I mean, Kay, um, what, you're just, Kay what you're describing is, is very classic anginal symptoms. But to your point, women have oftentimes atypical symptoms and then they kind of get blown off. So it's important to dig a little bit deeper and and make sure that you're not, as a physician or provider, we're not missing something for that patient. And it's really important as we close out here, if you're going to get anything from this show, it's write this down. Hey, doctor, let's chat. C for carotids, check for that brewy, meaning turbulent flow in your neck. H for heart, both valves and your arteries, as well as your your, um, for atrial fibrillation um, and A for abdomen, check for that aneurysm, check for that brewy in your abdomen and T for toes, check those leg pulses, especially if you're at risk. Everyone over the age, I even think of age 30, you need to make sure every single appointment you are chatting with your doctor. If you have any questions or you want to follow up with any of us, go to theheartofinnovation.org. Enjoy this beautiful weekend, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Another great show. Thanks, Kim. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and take a stand against amputation. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. 
The heart of innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.